is on the street. Your pulpit is at work. And I know that many of you, your pulpit is on the street. Your pulpit is at work. Amen? Well, this morning, very quickly, we have a lot to do. I want to very quickly um, go over what we've been talking about for some time. I've been doing a mini-series on healing. And, you know, we have come, I hope, to the conclusion. I know for the most part, I am probably speaking to the choir. But for the most part, I think we've come to the conclusion that God's divine will is healing. healing. Say that together. God's divine will is healing. We see that when Jesus walked here on earth, wherever he put his foot, whatever he did, whatever he was gauged in, all were healed in his name. All were healed by his presence. All were healed by his touch. Amen? I know that leaves a lot of questions on the table. Like, what about Uncle Bill? Or what about Aunt Sally? What about, what about, what about? Next week, we're going to go into some common uh, objections or concerns about healing. But this week, I want to talk about something that I think will help us put a, another handle on, the, on the, this amazing truth of healing in God's heart and his divine will. And I think in order for us to do that, we need to have a better understanding of Christ's atonement. Amen? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time hovering over atonement. If you want to do a study on it, man, the first five books of the Old Testament, whoa, gets into the law, gets into the atonement, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I mean, it breaks it all down. Tells everything that was required to make atonement for, to make something right. And uh, let, me, let me go on with my notes here. I got an, a definition here. In the secular, atonement is known as reparation. That's the word we're hearing today, which kind of gets people a little uncomfortable in some areas and some not. But simply, reparation is simply making amends for a wrong by either finances, by money, or by, let's say you knock someone's fence over accidentally with your tractor. Oh, I need to fix that fence. So I'm going to make amends by going out and getting some fence posts. I'm going to repair that fence. Okay. But in, in Christianity, in our faith, in our theology today, atonement refers to this needed reconciliation between sinful mankind and a holy God. And there was only one way that was going to happen. This reconciliation was made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus and the blood that he shed upon the cross. Amen. This is basic, this is pretty basic teaching. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. God required in a sacrifice something very precious, and most often it was the blood. And the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, and it covered us and covered our sins. There was atonements for the priests. There was atonements for inanimate objects. There was atonements for the, the sins of the people. I mean, there was atonements for all kinds of things. Again, go to Leviticus. And, and if you want to do a study on it, Deuteronomy chapter 28 lists all the sicknesses and curses. I mean, it's, it's all in there. It's a long read, but it's a powerful read. To be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In the past, up to the time of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, because of the atonement and the sacrifices that were made under the old covenant, God just kind of covered over the sins of the people. They weren't really dealt with once and for all. They were there, but just kind of slid over to one side and covered under the mercy seat. Romans 5.19, I love this. It says, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. 
What he's referring to here is Adam, the original sin in the garden. When Adam sinned in the garden, he made everyone from there on guilty before God without any kind of hope. God's heart all along was restoration. God's heart all along was he wanted to walk with and be with his people. He would walk into the garden, Adam, and they would have these incredible conversations. I can only fathom what that must have been like for Adam. In the cool of the evening, God would come. But when Adam sinned, man, it all started this downhill tumbling. But then it goes on. So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So at the right moment of time, we have Jesus stepping in and making atonement, making the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Christ, the the, 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 the sinless lamb of the world, the word of God tells us, he took upon himself the sins of all mankind so that we might receive atonement for our sins and be reconciled to God. This concept of atonement is really the central heartbeat of the gospels itself, to be reconciled, to be made right with, to be able to stand before God unashamed. How many want that in their lives? We all want that. I thought more hands would go up. Just a test, just saying. Just warming you guys up. Again, I'm not going to go real long here, but I want to point out something here because I really believe that this has been, this teaching of the atonement for our sins has been really central to a lot of our teaching as we've grown up in the church, right? But at the same time, I think there's more. But wait, there's more. I think Jesus accomplished so much more than just a sacrifice for our sins or atonement for our sins on the cross, I think there was something deeper that happened as well. Romans 5, 9 through 11. You may turn there really quick if you would. I'm going to read out of the Passion because I like the way this reads. Forgive me. You can read it out of the NIV if you want. Uh, But it says, And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made, keeps us and saves us from the wrath of God. Amen? I'm thankful for that. And because of the sacrifice that you will experience wrath of God, you will not. So if while we were still sin enemies, excuse me, Too much caffeine this morning. Let me slow down. So if, while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Whoa, something greater than friendship with God is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? pretty powerful, isn't it? Even And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God all because of Jesus Christ. So I really think that this passage really states that believers are justified and reconciled by the atonement of Christ, everything that he accomplished on the cross, Right? And I want to propose to you this morning that the atonement of Jesus carries not only with it forgiveness of sins, but healing as well. Now, some of you know this, 
But some of you need to hear it again, and some of you have probably never heard this. So I'm just going to speak my heart this morning. Yes, Jesus is our salvation. Yes, Jesus did save us from sin. Yes, Jesus does save us from eternal separation from God. But I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is also our healer. Jesus is also our healer. We need to get our head and our heart around. He's more than just our savior for our salvation. Remember we talked about salvation is all inclusive. It's more than just our sins. It's everything about our being. Jesus died so that we would be whole in every part of who we are, in our body, in our spirit, in our soul, in our mind, in our finances. God wants us healed in all of those areas and walking with confidence and life. So let's go a little bit deeper. Let's drill down a little bit farther. Uh, Jesus' suffering and death at the hands of godless men, we read, was prophesied many hundreds of years before Jesus put his foot here on earth, before Jesus came and walked among us. And, and and, And if you look in the Old Testament, you'll find there are numerous Old Testament scriptures that prophetically tell of the things which befall Jesus during his suffering and his death. Interesting. And and in Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says, I give my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. Oh, my goodness. Now, listen, I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Most people, when they're humiliated, put their hands on their face. Most people, when they're getting spit at, obviously cover their face. He took it all. He stood there blameless, but he took it all for us. But of all the prophecies and of all the prophetic words that describe the Lord's passion for us, one I think really stands out in incredible detail and incredible scope, and that is Isaiah 53. Turn with me there really quick, please. Isaiah 53. I think Isaiah 53 is is probably one of the most graphic descriptions of all that Jesus suffered and accomplished in his atoning work at the cross. And, and, And Isaiah 53 is also known, for you Bible scholars, is known as the great atonement chapter of the Old Testament. Why? Because because what we read in Isaiah 53 points directly to Calvary and everything that was accomplished there. Amen? So, so it's not surprising when you read Isaiah 53 that you're going to see not only Christ redeeming us from our sins, but you're going to see sickness found side by side with forgiveness and also mixed in with the release of sins. Amen? So, so let's read here for a second, and I'd like us to take a look at it. But one thing I want you to take a look at Mainly, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move through this because there's something really special I want us to do this morning. But if you do a careful study of Isaiah 53, and if you look at verses 3, verses 4, and verses 10, I think they're going to show us that these particular passages that we're about to read directly, directly refer to Jesus bearing and carrying away the diseases and sicknesses which came as a result of sin. So more than just our sin did he take away. He carried away with that also all our sicknesses and all our diseases. We need to understand this. So let's read this. I'm going to start in verse 3. 
Actually, I'm going to start right at the top. Who hath believed our message? And to whom hath the arm of Jehovah been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry, out of, out of a dry ground. For he hath no form nor comeliness. Jesus apparently didn't look like Prince Charming. Okay? He would look like an ordinary person, whatever that is. Maybe like Bob Friedel, I don't know. Just... <laughs> and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Huh. Then it goes, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and he was, he was esteemed, and, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Then it goes on to say, but he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned to everyone to his way own way, and Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of all of us all. He was oppressed, yet when he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. As a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who among them considered that he was cut off and out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And then it says, yet it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall see his seed. He shall, shall he, excuse me. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Jehovah shall prosper in his hand. Whoa! What a description of all that Jesus suffered and what he accomplished. But I want you guys to go back with me to just three verses. Verse three: He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The actual word there in the Hebrew is sickness. So it would read like this, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with sickness. Interesting. And as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and he was, he and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our, here's that word again, griefs, which literally is translated in Hebrew, sicknesses, and he carried away our sorrows. Sorrows is pain. In Hebrew. So let's read that. He has borne our griefs, our sickness, and he carried away our pains, yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And in verse 10, we have that word grief again, sickness. It, let me read it, and it would kind of translate like this Yet it pleased Jehovah to bruise him, it pleased Jehovah to make him sick. So was Jesus acquainted with more than just our sins? <laughs> yes. You know, on the basis of this scripture passage, if, if you got this, kind of how I have translated this out here in the original Hebrew, to me it seems very clear that not only did Jesus take away the sins of mankind, but that sickness and pain are all part of what Jesus bore on the cross. 
our sins and our sicknesses and our sick, uh, our, our grief, our sorrow. He took it all on the cross. Amen? So Christ's atoning work on the cross, cross covers all of our sicknesses, all of our diseases, as well as our sin. Now, I grew up hearing that Jesus died for your sins. It was years before I heard that Jesus also carried away your sickness and your disease. The New Testament itself verifies this translation of Isaiah 53, 4 when you apply it directly to the Jesus' ministry of healing all those that were sick. We are told in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus healed all who were ill. Did he just heal some? Did Jesus die for all of the sins of mankind? He didn't die for just a few people, did he? So to say that Jesus, that... that, that um, well, I'll go there next week. I want to save that for next week. But Matthew eight seventeen says, In order that it was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, that it might be fulfilled, saying, He took our infirmities and he carried away our diseases. Do you guys hear this? Jesus took away our sicknesses. Jesus took away our infirmities. Here's the problem. Jesus took them away, but... For some reason, those who have been sick for a long time and struggled with illnesses, I, I, there's a thought in me, I wonder if some, not all, because I don't want to be too general about this, but some, not all, some are in this place of they've so identified with their sickness, it's almost become their friend. It's almost become their identity. I have met those people. My heart breaks for them because you just want to, how do you let them know that Jesus not only died for your sins, which they will agree with you, but when you say, no, Jesus died for more than just your sins, he died for your sickness as well. Let him have it. Let him have it. Let him take it. Give it to him. It may not be overnight. It may not be instantaneous. It may take several years, but give it to him. You guys all saw my wife, her entire journey through cancer. It was brutal, but I'll tell you, every night she was thankful for five little things that God did for her. She looked for it every single night, and she wasn't going to let sickness take her. She was giving her sickness to Jesus, and Father, take this from me, and God in his divine will took that disease from her and totally healed her. We remember the moment, yeah. We remember the moment it happened. We had prayed one night, I've shared this story with some of you, she's chemo, no hair, nothing, and she's just, one night I hear music, we prayed before she went to bed, she says, I can't do this any longer, this is just killing me, and, and she, I said, let's pray, and her heart was, God, either you take me home, or you heal me, but I'm not going to live my life in this pain and torture, I'm not, and, and that night, I heard music, and I come back in the living room, and she's just like this praising God. And I said, are you okay? And she said, yes. He came. And he took my sickness. He healed me. He told me I'd be all right. Was it instantaneous? No, it was a journey out of it. But she's healthy and she's strong. And I'm thankful for that. You know, the New Testament as well as the Old Testament bears witness to that fact that, that Calvary's redemption includes release from oppression and sickness as well as sin. You guys got that on your heart? 
And, and, and this, the, the redemption which Jesus proclaimed was a release from sin. It was a release from sickness. It was a release from poverty. It was a release from depression. It was a release from addiction. It was a release from pain. It was a release from every brokenness you can write on the paper. That's what he did. He set us free from all of that. But here's one of the challenges. How many of us have gone back there? We've taken back what we gave to God. Several years ago, God really gave this word to me, man. It's like, you said you gave me all of that. I carried it away, but you went and found it and brought it back. And Jesus coming back, I want it back. It's mine. You gave it to me. It's mine. So, man, let God have it. Whatever you're dealing with, let God have it, and he will take care of that for you. You know, release from, from, from sin and release from sickness, I do not believe they can be separated. I believe they are both part and parcel of the, of the work of the atonement. And this is why Jesus said, or excuse me, this is why Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, it says, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. If you believe that, stand up. If you believe that by his wounds you were healed, stand up. Amen. It's not a trick question. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I just want you to understand that it was by his wounds. Everything that he accomplished on the cross was for every part of your being. Not only for your sin, not only to save your soul, but to heal your brokenness, to heal your body. Guys, healing, healing is such an amazing process. You know, healing is the process of restoring. Healing is this process of restoration. It's like taking an old cabinet that's all battered and beaten up, and you begin to remove all the old tarnish and all the old stuff that stains and everything on there, and you sand it, and you work, and you work, and over time, you restore it in this beautiful beautiful piece of furniture. That is what God is doing in many of you today. He is healing you from the inside out. Amen? And he wants you to know that he carried away all of that stuff on the cross. So give it to him. Let him have it. Let him go with it. You know, healing comes in many forms. Sometimes it's in little steps. I, when I think of healing, I think of a nurse. Do we have any nurses in here? I know Mary Duffy was a nurse. Any nurses? Barb? Yeah. Good. Nurses, nurses are amazing. Their job is to work with the process of healing. They change the Band-Aids. They put the medication. They, they're just the ones working with the patient to get them to the point where they can stand on their feet and walk out of the hospital or wherever they're at, Right? That's what nurses do. They're, gift, they're a gift to, to just humanity in that respect. But, but I've watched healing come in, and you may sit back down real quick. I've watched healing come in many different forms. Sometimes it's little, and some very slow, very methodical, and other times it's boom, blind eye opens. I've seen it. I've seen people with one leg shorter than the other just all of a sudden grow. And they were like this, and they just all of a sudden, they grow. And this room is loaded with incredible, miraculous things that have happened in these healing chairs. In, in a couple weeks, we're going to have a healing conference here, and I hope this place is loaded with people that need to be healed, that need a touch from God. Because when God touches you and you're in his presence, again, 
everything changes. But I want to tell you, how many of you would like to see a healing this morning? Honestly. Honestly. You guys, really? How many want to see a healing this morning? Woo! Well, we have a healing and a testimony of a healing in this room right now. And it's an amazing story, a lot of heartache, a lot of heartbreak. And right now, we know that this last year has been hard for many of us, at many different levels, many different ways, shapes, and forms. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to marriages, I think a lot of marriages were hit incredibly hard. But I'm going to tell you this morning, there is healing in marriages. I know of a couple that actually went through a terrible divorce, and I know just through circumstances and arrangements and stuff, it was brutal. But God is good, and he's good all the time. And God looked down from above, and he said, it's not done yet. It's time for you guys to reconcile and be remarried once again, legally remarried. This is not an exchanging of vows in terms of of just renewing their vows. This is a bona fide sign again wedding. Amen? Steve and Kayla, come on up. So, you guys can stand right there in front of me. Wow. What an amazing story. You clean up so good, bro. Oh, my goodness. I'm so proud of you guys. You know, you could have taken this and let it destroy your lives and move to separate parts of the planet, but you didn't. Yeah, I know. It was close. But you fought, didn't you? And I tell you, in this journey of just meeting with these guys and sharing with them and talking with them and being involved in their lives and their openness and willing, willingness to just be, I'll, I'll say it, naked and honest before all of you, it was brutal. But God is a redeeming God, isn't he? So let's do this. You guys ready to get married? You guys didn't know you were coming to a wedding, did you? got that on. <laughs> is the sound guy ready? Where is he? Oh, he's right behind me. You, right behind you. It don't matter, Jason. We're getting married right now. Okay. Well, typically... They come down the aisle, the music all starts. They wanted to keep this incredibly simple. So they've arrived up front here, and here's where we would start. We are gathered here today to celebrate one of life's greatest moments and to give recognition to the beauty of love and to add, to our, to add our hopes and our prayers and our support in and woven through the words which shall unite the two of you together today. Amen. Steve and Kayla, 
Life is given to us as individuals, and yet we must learn to live together. Love is given to us by God, by our family, and by our friends. We learn to love by being loved, right? Learning to love and living together, that's one of the greatest challenges of life, but it must become from this day forward your shared goal. You ready for some vows? I'd like you two to hold hands and face each other, please. Will one hand work? (laughs) One hand will work. We will improvise, adapt, and overcome. Steve, do you take Kayla to be your wife? Now, let me finish. Okay. To live together after God's ordinance in a holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her? Will you comfort her? Will you honor her? Will you keep her in sickness and in health? For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sadness and in joy, to cherish and continually bestow upon her your heart's deepest devotion, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live? I do. That's good. That's good. (laughs) And Kayla, do you take Steve to be your husband, to live together after God's ordinance in a holy estate of matrimony? Will you love him? Will you comfort him? Will you honor him? Will you keep him in sickness and in health? For richer and for poorer, for better, for worse, in sadness and in joy, to cherish and continually bestow upon him your heart's deepest devotion, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto him as long as you both shall live? Absolutely, I do. There you go. (laughs) Now, I understand you guys brought rings today. Yeah, we did. Awesome. Hold those rings up and just take a look at them for a moment. Okay. I want to just look at the the rings that you're holding today are a sign of the covenant being made between the two of you today. They are a circle, which is an emblem of eternity, which has no beginning and no end. And it's the circles then that speak to us that it's God's own eternal love that's necessary to keep this covenant relationship bound together. So Steve, as you slip the ring on Kayla's finger, I'd like you to repeat after me, please. Okay. <clears throat> Make sure it's, yeah, there you go. The right one. Yeah. There, you can see it now. There you go. I, Steve, give you, Kayla, this ring. I, Steve, give you, Kayla, this ring. A continuous circle. A continuous circle. Never ending. Never ending. A symbol of love and commitment. A symbol of love and commitment. A bonding of two loves. A bonding of two loves. Together into one. Together into one. Slide that puppy on there. Ooh, that's beautiful. Look at that. Okay, Kayla, you have a ring for Steve? Here, I'll take her. This is tag teaming it. <clears throat> you ready? Yeah. I, Kayla, give you, Steve, this ring. I, Kayla, give you, Steve, this ring. A continuous circle. A continuous circle. <clears throat> Never ending. Never ending. A love of commitment. A love of commitment. A bonding of two loves. A bonding of two loves. Together into one. Now, Steve and Kayla, you can slide that ring on his finger. As the two of you come into this union, uniting, need some soap. As the two of you come into this union, uniting as husband and wife, and as this day you affirm your faith and your love for one another, I would ask that you always remember to cherish each other as special and unique individuals, that you respect the thoughts and the ideas and, and, and the suggestions of one another. Here's what's important. Be able to forgive and not hold grudges 
as you share each day together. And from this day forward, you shall be each other's home, be each other's comfort, be each other's refuge as your marriage is strengthened by your love and your respect for each other. Let's pray. Bow your heads, please. Heavenly Father, our hearts are filled with incredible gratefulness and happiness. Mm. Wow, on this amazing day for Steve and Kayla. Father, as they come, come before you pledging their hearts and their loves to one another, uh, grant that they may ever be true and loving and living together in such a way from this day forward that will never bring shame or heartbreak into their marriage. Father, I pray that you would temper their hearts with kindness and understanding. You would rid them of all pretense and, and, and jealousy. You would help them to remember to be each other's sweetheart, helpmate, best friend, and guide so that together they may meet the cares and the problems of life more bravely head on together. And with the passage of time, Father, whoa, may they find great contentment in the rich joy of senior companionship. May their home truly be a place of love and a place of harmony where your spirit is always present. Thank you, God. Bless this marriage, we pray. And we walk, as we and all of us in this room as a tribe walk beside Steve and Kayla. Wow, throughout all of their lives together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Wow. Steve and Kayla, so much as the two of you have agreed to live together and you have promised your love for one another. You've, you've, you've given vows, you've exchanged rings, and now, by the power vested in me by the state of Oregon, I pronounce you husband and wife. Whoa. Yes. You may shake her hand. What? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you may kiss your bride. You missed God on that one, Doug. <laughs> Now, now, typically they would spin around and we would cheer them on as they run out the room, but together, today, right now, up front, they would like you to join them in an amazing song called Restoration. So we would we'd like to ask you guys to stand and to worship with us. Man, if that's you, if you need restoration in your heart, there's miracles happening all around, around us. So come, come forward if that's you, circle around them, gather around them. Come up for your own heart, but man, come and just watch what God will do. Their lives, their marriage is a great example of what God can do if you let them do it. Amen? So come on.
I was going to have you guys stay up here for more. Wow, 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 <clears throat> wow. Quite a celebration going on up here. Steve, Kayla, you guys come up here just for a moment. I want to make this totally official. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Steve Ackerman. Bless you guys. Thank you. God has restoration for every one of you. There's brokenness at all different levels, ways, shapes, or form. And I just pray on our, on our journey of healing here in this tribe, I just pray that we would see incredible outbreak of total healing in people's lives that would pour out of this building onto the streets, out into our circle of influence. Amen? Amen. 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 Go enjoy your Sunday. Have a glorious day. Sunday will tell us about it. Yeah, it'd be great.